Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I'm here along with co-host trauma surgeon Stefan Moran and car expert, car connoisseur, car dude, Adams Hudson. And this is Cars on Call. We're psyched to start today, episode 60. And Stefan, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, good morning. And you have a cool safety subject. Hit us. Yeah, I want to follow up. Uh, so listeners, last week I talked about the Insurance Institute Highways for Safety new program where they're putting the equivalent of a, a small female or 12-year-old in the backseat of the cars that they're doing their crash testing in to see how backseat passengers fare. And of course, they went after the SUV market, which is the most popular for carrying kids around and soccer and school and all that. And I was at work. And of course, I pull in the parking lot. And I'm always checking it out. There's some ugly ass BMW crossover thing. Well, I don't know what it is. X something with a bunch of numbers. that looks like a Honda cross <laughs> tour on steroids. And there's a couple of, um, there's a Kia and a Telluride. And of course, and I thought I said, yeah, I think that's Jessica's car. So Jessica is a nurse practitioner that I work with. And she just recently had a baby. She's got three kids. I think they're like, I don't know, six, two and an infant. And I'm like, hey, Jessica, I said, have you ever heard of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety? She's like, no. And I said, well, um, there you, you know, know how to I, open a conversation there, Steph. Well, I, did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I usually start with good morning. I did. Yeah, I did say good morning. How the baby's all that. I haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you. She's one of my favorites to work with. And um, the way we got talking, I said, well, I said last week on my podcast, we, we, I talked about this new test that they're doing. And I said, you know, your your Telluride, unfortunately, scored a poor. And I mean, it's like she just went ashen. I just saw the blood drain out of her. She's like, oh, no, my babies. So I was like, well, I said, Let, let's 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 put this in proper context, Jessica. I said, this is a test where they put basically a 12 year old kid in the in the back seat or the third seat in the back seat, not the third seat and put them right next to the door. I said, you with you and your babies. I said, you know, so this is what it is looking for to see how shorter people and kids interact with the side curtain and the A and B pillar. And but I said, I said, don't worry, Jessica, if you keep your kids in booster seats and car seats, you don't have to worry about this because now they're fitting the seat like an adult. So I'm like, I said, yeah, I said, your son, who's the oldest, I mean, you know, up until he weighs a fair amount, you know, um, at least till he's over five, as long until he's under five feet tall. If you leave him in a booster seat back there, he's going to be okay. You know, um, so let me just, let me just ask you this, Stefan. Uh, I, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it makes sense. A booster seat, but why does it make sense? Unpack that. Is it, is it because. Uh, they're gonna their head's gonna be below the side curtain airbag or what's the story why why would a booster seat help for I get it for a three-year-old why would it help for a nine-year-old so you know I told her that what you really need are the booster seats that have the side impact protection meaning the booster seat basically like a race car driver the seat comes up high and gives some lateral support to the kid's head so when you're hit lat when they hit from the side what you don't want, even as a driver, is you don't want your head hitting what's called the B pillar. And that's the the post between the front rear doors if it's a four-door car or just the post behind you on a coupe. Typically, they're far back there. So what you don't want to do is have your head strike that post. You'd rather have the curtain come down and you hit the curtain with the post behind it. 
So what they found in these in the in the tests, and you can look them up on the web where they show this, you can see the kids' heads were going typically underneath the curtain. Um, the curtain deployed, you know, to the middle of the car, missing the kid completely because they're just too short. You know, like if my wife gets any shorter, I'm going to put her in a booster seat too, because you know she's already starting at five <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> so she, I'm going to put her in a booster seat as well. She's starting to settle some. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I suggest Jessica, don't worry about it. Just keep your kids in booster seats. And said so by the time you know your your son is going to be, um, you know, in five six years, you'll probably have a new vehicle anyway. But this is something that you need to think about um, where you put the kids in the seats and how you do it. And three kids makes it harder because, you know, she's got cap chairs. So you got two in cap chairs, one in the back. But so so for listeners that, you know, the, the moral of the story here is if you're driving, if you have one of these SUVs, these compact SUVs, and you've got kids in your second row, third row, the kids are going to raise hell. But, you know, leave them in the booster seat until the last possible um, until they're just too big for it. And then use seats or boosters that have side extensions basically so it helps protect the head as well and you'll be fine if you own one of these but don't go putting your six-year-old not in a booster seat and one of the outside seats in the back of these things because if you do get a lateral impact um especially if you've got one of the vehicles that are rated poor which are the most popular you're you're unfortunately your child's not going to do well and really what are the odds here i mean well um 2019 you know the world health organization says that traffic injuries are one of the leading causes of death children five to 14 and in 2019 i, I was surprised only i don't want to say only 636 children 12 and under were killed in motor vehicle crashes in the united states i thought it would be higher than that um, but fortunately that is a pretty low number if you look at we've got over typically around 40,000 deaths so the children are a small component but the saddest part is 30 percent of these kids were not restrained by a car seat booster seat or even a seat belt so you think about 34% of kids dying in vehicles were unrestrained or not restrained properly, which is, that's inexcusable. So, so really, Stefan, what you're saying is that, you know, even though the car is maybe rated a little bit unsafe, you know, rule one is just put them in a, in, in some sort of restraint. It's, Absolutely. it's unbelievable. 30% are completely unrestrained. And that, that is a remarkable statistic. And that is instantly resolvable. That 30% would go to zero if people just restrained their kids, I guess. Yes. Yeah, another, yeah. Then we'd be down. Yeah. Yeah, another ahead, another point, uh, and I completely agree with Adams. My gosh, and and of course, Eustephon, put your damn kids in seatbelts at least, at the very least. But another point that needs to be made, and and I'm I'm happy that the number of, of kids is not you know ten thousand. I mean, if it's if it's six hundred and something, um, that's a lot better than if it were a higher number. I wish it were zero. But a couple points. Number one. Uh, I'd love to to know the age of the vehicles where these kids are dying because I bet it's not a brand new Telluride. I bet it's a you know the average age of the of the fleet, the average age of light vehicles in the, in the U.S. is 11 years old, so it's probably you know a 12 year old Explorer, number one, and then number two, the Telluride's actually a decent size, the same as the Highlander and the Pilot and the Explorer. So I think she should rest easy. I think she's probably going to be okay. I think she is, but it was, you know, I think for listeners, the one way, you know, that one way to look at it that I look at, um, when you see a kid in a car who's not in a booster seat, look where that shoulder belt goes. It goes right across their neck. And, you know, we did, I did see lots of neck injuries, seat belt injuries to the neck. It can do bad things to the arteries. And, but that's why that booster seat, because that seat belt back there is made for an adult. It's not made for a kid. 
Um, so you put them in the booster seat so the seat belt fits them like an adult, which is what you want. Beautiful. And get okay. the newest newest car and the safest car. So uh, we'll move on. But uh, Adams, you have a well, point. You know, I guess, I, well, I, I guess if the uh, if the kids um, um, really resisted being uh, in the booster seat that long, the option would be to put them in a Hans device. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they might prefer the booster in comparison, but but anyway, gr great stuff, Steph. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> device. Anyway, uh, yeah, do whatever you can to keep your kids safe. Thank you, Stefan. And uh, we're going to stay with you because, you know, we've talked about this. You go to a, a location, go to a fun place uh, that has cars, you know, even if you're on a business trip or, or a family vacation, a lot of times you can find a an interesting hidden away uh, gem of a car uh, site that you can go visit. And you just did that. So tell us about it. Yeah. So Ellen wanted to get a little, have a little two day getaway. She's like, I want to go to Gibbs gardens in Georgia to see the daffodils. And apparently it's kind of like going to Holland where they're just a lot of flowers. It's a gorgeous, the guy was a landscape designer who built his own garden. It's really beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds, yeah, great. Let's go, baby. I'm all for it. And she says, well, I found a and b that is called Racer's Retreat. I'm like, where are we going? And mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, oh, hey, hold on now. That's where Atlanta Motorsports Park is. And there's a racing go-kart track. But there so I was. That's another story. To, there I was. And yeah. there I was. <laughs> I'll tell you the story about my broken ribs next week. Okay. <laughs> so we're not, we're not going to get sidetracked on my little go-kart mishap, but anyway, so that's, um, I so we're driving. Want to get sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the listeners back next week. But, um, so we're driving through and we took the back roads cause we not, did not want to go through Atlanta. I hate driving through that city. It's just absolute freaking nightmare. Um, so we went through Cartersville, Georgia, which is just off of I-75 between Chattanooga, Atlanta. And I'm like, what the hell is that? It's this gorgeous building. And it's the Savoy Automobile Museum, which is part of Georgia Museums Incorporated. And it is just open. It is absolutely spectacular. I'm like, and then unfortunately, we went up on, um, it wasn't open when we went. But on the way back, we left in time so I could get there before they closed. And thank you to the Savoy Museum because active duty military are free so i got to go in for free um i would have gladly paid anyway but thanks for supporting our military but it's really cool they do rotating collections that are kind of themed um so the first collection that they have is what they call locally owned and they have about 150 cars that people keep there then they rotate them in and out and steve you would have been very excited the first car you walk into the right is a 60 plymouth barracuda um hard top notch notchback m code super super rare with the drag racing pack and the 440 in it it was gorgeous deep metallic green wow yeah probably gen 2 those are those are beautiful cool that was and then uh right behind it was the 67 pontiac grand prix with our very favorite general motors uh, nothing i like much about general motors but the ron hill hood tachometer <laughs> i was like I mean, I spotted that across the room. It's like my eyes, I just saw that tack on the hood. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's a convertible Grand Prix. That was cool. I love that's, how Pontiac would do that. That, that was sort of like the, uh, the, the prehistoric heads-up display. Yes. 
I think it's the coolest it on the thing. Hood. Who cares? Yeah. I don't, it's a complete <laughs> gimmick, but so what? We love it. it. I yeah. absolutely love it. I oh yeah, I, I got a picture of it. And then there was a really cool '53 Panini Farini Nash Healy Roadster, and that's kind of an interesting story that uh, Healy and the Nash guy were just found each other on a ship on a cruise or something. They're like, hey, let's get together and do something. And they made the Nash Healy Roadster, a great looking little car with a nice engine in it. And then I did see another cool car that was locally owned. And, and this one was not a kit car that won at the Quail, unlike the other one you heard about. But this was a Bizzarini GT Strada that was the real deal. Frame, motor, everything together by Bizzarini. And the cool thing about this car was it was owned by Kerry Lofton, who was the stunt driver for Bullet and Bullet in The Great Escape. Um, How about that great little bit of history there? Yeah, so all the cars had kind of about the the left side was kind of like the production, how many were made, the weight and all that. And then the right side were the cool details about the car. And like everything there had a story. Um, and then there was the British Invasion theme. Of course, uh, my favorite one in there was the Jaguar XK120 alloy, 147 of 242. So for listeners, that was actually the... The old Jag that had an ash wood frame, but an aluminum alloy body that they then did the racers out of. And there was a 64 AC Ace, which was, of course, then later turned into my favorite car, the Cobra. You know, and Stefan, before you run down any more, the, 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 the drool-worthy list, which is unbelievable. I mean, I, my heart kind of skipped a beat when you talked about the Bizzarini. But, you know, how many times do we go into museums and you just see it's sort of like a static display? They might tell you the year, make, model, a little tiny bit about it. I love knowing the backstory. And thank you to Savoy for listening to the people who go to museums and are in awe, but sort of leave a little unfulfilled because unless you're going to hire the 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 docent or somebody to take you around you kind of don't know all these wonderful things like the stunt driver for bullet owned at the bizzarini that's just fun stuff to know absolutely and that's what i really enjoyed it was you know that the the um the metal plaques were gorgeous for every vehicle and yeah, here's the basic stuff but here's the cool thing that what makes this car special extra special and i mean they were all really special and then you guys would have been salivating they had the 75 years of porsche um and of course when you first walk in it's a james dean made famous 550 spider um which was there and this was the swiss cheese spider where somebody had drilled out all the holes to make it lighter for racing and they had the story about that and then yeah, because um, it was such an overweight before they started to drill yeah, out. Yeah. It was such it, 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 it had it about nine hundred pounds. Let's drill holes in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely not an L Tom, which is land trapped oceanic mammalian, as many of my former patients were, um, with Alabama biscuit toxicity. But that nine fifty that five fifty spider <laughs> thing, that that thing was so cool and lightweight. And then they had a sixty three nine one prototype. What? Land trapped oceanic mammalian L Tom. That's what yeah. I call them L Toms. I got in trouble for using other words, but so I just call them L Toms. Um, and then they had the, a 63 901 prototype, one of 13, which was considered the most historically significant, which is awarded most historically significant winner at Pebble Beach. They had wow. one, so this is one of the this is one of the prototype 911s. Um, there were 13 of them. And this was number one. By the way, owned, and when you, owned by, uh, I sent the picture you sent me to yeah. our former guest, uh, Mike Clark, who is the Bizzarini expert. 
it belongs to a friend of his. So it's a, a guy who lives in California and uh, is part of the Bizarini Club. And uh, he owns that 901. And here's the interesting story about that. Uh, Porsche contacts him every year to buy it back. <laughs> I'll bet. Wow. Wow. How did he even get impressive. away from them? You know? Yeah. He got well, it. You know, it he got it many years ago, and it wasn't when it wasn't valuable. That's incredible. Sorry. You know, people look at the the, the nine elevens, and they look at the, the whole the whole genesis. That's a word that'll be coming up later in the show. But from the it's sort of humble roots, and you can still see today. You can see a glimpse of that car's DNA in the one in the showroom right now. And oh the, yeah, absolutely. It's unbelievable. And the nine oh one, you know, it's old when they use that zero in the middle. Uh, because I think you revealed a little fun fact about why they had to quit using that zero in the middle of, of their 901 car. I don't know that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, Porsche had called it, you know, as a design study, a 901. That was where they wanted to, to, to land the car as a 901. And Peugeot took great exception oh, with them using a, a zero in the middle. That was sort of what Peugeot did, you know, with the 405, 505, et cetera, 202, 205. And they said, you're going to stop using the zero in the middle. And Porsche said, okay, we'll call it a 911 then. Ah, very cool. So then they had a Carrera RS and 73 Carrera RS, which is like the, that is for Porsche collectors. And this was the lightweight one of 500. Um, that's the, the, kind of the, you could tell us more about that car. But I know for a collector, that is like, that's the car that they all seek. Um, and then there was a cool display called built for a crisis. So this was during the global oil crisis, the gas crisis that we had. Um, and they had a pacer, a gremlin, Vega it was GT. 74 and then another yeah. one in 79. So these were what they call Malaysia cars. Yes. The Malaysia car. So they had, and not, so they had a Vega, but it was the very first Vega that came off the production line. Um, they had a Cosworth Vega. And this is where they yeah. they took the they sent the car over to England. They put a Cosworth engine. That thing was twice the price of a regular um, Vega, all it for 110 much, horsepower. Yeah, it was almost as much as a Corvette in the eight hundred dollars less. That's it. Yeah, you yeah. could for eight hundred bucks more, you get a Corvette. And so all you really got was a, a sixteen valve head, uh, a little bit of exhaust work, and some stripes. Yes. Yeah. And there's a Chevette that had 64 miles on it that had never been registered. So even these Malaysia cars, somebody bought these things, you know, that at the time and they were great. So it was a really cool display. And then last but not least, they had a checker cab outside in front, uh, which we had talked about on one of our previous shows. So yeah. they rotate the displays. Um, I don't know how often they rotate them. So I know every time I drive by, I will stop because they've got another 150 cars in the back that are locally owned that they rotate in and out. So it is a wonderful, if you're on I-75 coming north out of Atlanta, going north out of Atlanta or coming out of Chattanooga, make sure that you stop to Savoy. I think they're open Wednesday through Sundays. Um, check out their website. And they also have a big theater in there and they have events. So it's an event center for car people and very cool place. I'd love to go there for a, they do a cars and coffee. I can only imagine what would come up out of Atlanta to go to cars and coffee there. So, uh, yeah, I, I got a statement and then a question. And the statement is, uh, isn't having the first Vega, uh, just like having the first Twinkie. It's like, okay, like <laughs> who cares? <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, except you can eat a Twinkie. 
And then, yeah. the, but the question is, and and this I just find this fascinating because when we went to Barber Motorsports Park for the Porsche event, uh, I learned about this guy named Barber. His last name I forgot his first. I don't I don't know what his first name is, but he made all his money in yeah. dairy and 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 milk, uh, which I find fascinating. He put that all into cars. What about Mr. or Mrs. Savoy who started this? What's their story? Do you know? I don't know anything about it. Um, there wasn't. I don't. I don't know. Um, I honestly, I didn't see anything about that, and I don't know why is it called this. I don't know why it's called this. Avoid. I'm gonna Google it. Um, I don't know. I don't honestly. I don't know the answer to that question. It was a great question. Well, anyway, you know, it may actually. I remember there was a Plymouth Savoy, a not very attractive car. So maybe Savoy actually means something else. But as you're looking that up, you know what? What great and fun ingenuity. Uh, for the way those cars are displayed to put the checker cab out front. They could have put it anywhere inside, but it just sort of seemed like it, it, it was it was befitting of its role to put the checker cab outside like you would hail a cab. That's really cool. Here you go. The museum found its name during the clearing of the property when a rusty abandoned 1954 Plymouth Savoy was discovered and preserved. And I saw it out there. Um, yeah. So you're right. That's exactly. And they've got the big, they've got the giant Savoy emblem which is like a kind of like a nymph lady with long flowing hair going fast and pretty cool that, that's exactly where is, it comes from the emblem is way better looking than the car yeah the emblem is really cool yeah um, yeah yeah back in the in those days if you were very successful you drove a cadillac or a buick uh maybe an oldsmobile uh but not a plymouth not a savoy <laughs> so yeah. it, it's funny i don't know why they dropped the name it's kind of a cool name so it is um, a cool thing. I like yeah, it. anyway uh next we have uh i think a very interesting news story and we all kind of saw this and said hey guys check this out uh it's a car that's that's going to come out soon and uh i'll just say that and adams uh, talk about it because it's it's interesting i think it's interesting too uh and and we are hinting at the uh the the, the not yet launched but you know the the, the the spy photos and some of the uh the uh, prototypes are out. The Genesis GV80 Coupe and Genesis has, you know, been been pretty much on a design and stylistic tear. You know, they came out in when 2015, I believe, was their first year. And look what that brand has done. If I can just spend half a moment on that. I mean, it just comes out of this, you know, what had formerly been known as an entry level budget sort of car in the Hyundai. And then Genesis takes a page out of Lexus book and creates this parallel sort of dynamic and they go way upscale with the genesis and look what they've done i mean it's a it's a it's a laudable brand move and it's a respected brand or, or getting to be even more so and uh the genesis gv80 coupe uh listeners if you want to uh look that up or you know steve will post a photo of that it's just really a sort of a, a groundbreaking design for them because you think Oh no, another boring jelly bean SUV. And you take a look at this thing and it's anything but. And it certainly had, you know, the Volvo XC90, which kind of more or less started that that good looking uh, category of, of SUV. And then the BMW, um, help me here, uh, the, 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 the XM, the X. X6M X6. or something. Just the X6. Yeah. X6. Yeah. And, and it sort of like creates its own category. You know, they do the, the sloping rear and give it a better looking silhouette and, and generally have to remove the third seat in, in order to do that. So that you lose a little utility, but just look at that vehicle. And so uh, they 
to again to their incredible credit, uh, Hyundai goes out and hires Filippo Perini, who was the former head of uh, design at Lamborghini. So not a bad little resume there. And if you look at this car, and they got Luke Dunkervolka, however you pronounce his name, him as well, who came from Volkswagen, Bentley, Lamborghini, Skoda, and Audi. Those two guys, gene just design genius. I would say notably Bentley. That I, think, I think there's hints of Bentley in all the Genesis now. Yeah. Yep, and even the the the, the Urus, uh, which I smile every time I say that that name. <laughs> Urus, Uranus. I mean, yeah, we know it's a body part. I don't know where they got that. <laughs> um, but you know, you look at this 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 Genesis, and it's got a lot of the Lamborghini look, and it's really got an, a very attractive front end with the, with sort of exaggerated intake scoops. It's got. I don't know what the designers would call it, but if you look at the headlight design and it continues through the front wheel arch, it's almost like mascara. You know, it's, it, it's like it takes that eye line and pulls it way back into the belt line of the body. And it's just it's just a very, very handsome car. Well, I say it's handsome. What do you guys think? I think it's I love it. You know, I saw it and sent it to you guys and I've always been a big fan of the English shooting brake. So the shooting brake is where the English will take a basically a two-door sports car and put a hatch on the back of it, make it like a mini station wagon. They're, I love that. And the coupe, I mean, finally to me, we you know these jelly bean SUVs are so boring. And I know, you know, Mercedes tried with their SUV coupe fail. BMW's got their X6 fail. And um, this is a coupe done right for an SUV in my mind. It's just a gorgeous SUV. And, uh, Dunkervolk, this is a great quote, and this has got so many five syllable words, I'm gonna have a hard time. But I'm gonna here's his quote on this the is design why we have captions, car. people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let me get this. It emphasizes the duality of the Genesis brand by showcasing the antagonistic character that lives within the athletic and elegance parameters of Genesis design philosophy. <laughs> what a fucking that was mouthful. A copywriter <laughs> who was paid by the letter. Oh my god, but I guess it's. It's an antagonistic design, I guess, but um, <laughs> athletic and elegance. But it, I think that I think that's a great way to sum because it is athletic looking, but it's elegant and sleek, and the proportions are right on this vehicle in my mind. The X, the X, the tires are way too big. The Mercedes have got like I don't know twenty six dubs on those things, but <laughs> this is proportionally done right. And Adams, the detail, like you said, with the flowing line from the lights, it works in my mind. Well, let me say two points. Number one, uh, Hyundai or Genesis has a shooting brake, the G70 shooting yes. brake. Mm-hmm. It's rest of world. It's not available here. And I think that looks great. It's a, If you're in Europe, you can buy one. And to me, that's sleek and elegant. And then for this, I mean, yeah, it's decent looking. <clears throat> but to me, it's like saying it's the best looking kid in an ugly family. I mean, okay, yeah, it's decent looking, but, um, you know, the X6, I think, was terrible. The GLE Coupe, I think, was terrible. The, even I, you know, the, I saw a Cayenne Coupe GT yesterday, which is one of the other Germans. Uh, it's the same kind of thing, you know, a sloping rear. And I just looked at it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, you lose utility, and what do you really get? I guess you get a little sportiness. I just don't like any of this, and I'd rather have the shooting brake here than this uh thing although i agree it's better looking than the x6 or the even the cayenne coupe gt yeah i mean the shooting brake just wouldn't sell here in the u.s you're right steve was a great car but look how few station wagons are sold here in this country you know and even though it's a shooting brake but 
they're going to sell the hell out of this thing. And this is, but you're right. You lose, you do lose a ton of utility. There's not much space left back there with that sloping roof. The people in the back seats, heads are hitting the roof, but this is for a couple. Um, this is for an older couple that wants that something easy getting out of that looks great. They don't want to fall down into a car. And I think they're going to sell. This is going to be another hit home run from Genesis. Just to, um, I think so too. Yeah. I, I will Can add, they- I will add that, you know, absolutely. You know, you're right, Stefan. The bottom line is, People don't like sitting, especially women don't like sitting down really low. I'll bring up my wife again. Uh, she has a 328D station wagon from BMW. It's a diesel, so she likes that. But I just give her she, a booster seat and she'll feel like she's cruising around in that SUV. <laughs> I think why well, should it be safer? You need a two foot booster seat. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. And you have to stick your head out the sunroof. It's, you know, you're so disadvantaged being in a a regular sedan or a wagon uh even one of these the g70 um shooting brake looks fantastic but uh you're so disadvantaged because you're surrounded by you know it's like walking through manhattan you know you just look up at these big buildings around you you can't see anything you feel hemmed in and that's the problem it's it's you it's easier to get into one of these big things and then when you when you're compared to a regular sedan you just can't see around you. It's it's yeah. very confining. It's bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's it's too bad that this arms race uh, has escalated. Uh, arms meaning that just just the size and the heft of the, these SUVs, and it's escalated to a basically an irreversible point because nobody wants to say, oh, well, let's just reverse the trend and get get lower and 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 less visibility and harder to see. No, nobody's going to do that. Everybody has to be an inch higher to see above the crowd, but it's funny. Listen to, it sounds like three out of three of us would choose the shooting break over yet another SUV. And yet they don't sell in in any appreciable numbers. I've never seen a, um, a is it called the, the, the Cayenne uh, Turismo? What, excuse me, what, what, is, what is the the shooting break version of the- GT. Of the, the GT. Yeah. I've never seen one on the street. I saw one at a car show about three years ago. I've, I've yet to see one on the street. And I think that's one of the prettiest profiles out there. Um, my uh, so. uh, Here's a good example. My my accountant, who's a wonderful guy and he's a car guy. Um, not a, like a car guy like us. He just likes cars. So he he's had a series of BMW coupes or sedans. And then he finally decided I want to get a Porsche. And he got one of these and he loves it. He said, I love the sound of the engine and all this kind of stuff. But he got the, the Cayenne GT and he, he thinks it's cool. Well, it's cool because you look at yourself and say, I'm not really driving an SUV. You know, it's a coupe. It's not an SUV. Well, no, it is. It's it's a damn SUV. But you're kind of set, you know, it gives you this false because of the design that you don't, you just, you don't think you're driving an SUV, but you are. But I Wait, like I it. Tell you, I, I, I misstated. I'm talking about, I, it's the, uh, the the Panamera version of the shooting. Oh, car. yeah. Yeah, the Panamera, Sport they Turismo, do that. Sport Turismo, that, That's, that vehicle. Yeah. That's the one I've never seen, and I think is super handsome. I'm not so fond of the the, uh, the Cayenne version, but nonetheless, it's funny how we all sort of like gravitate toward that. And uh, you know, a, 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 another point just just on how Hyundai has pulled this off because we're about to talk about some car sales where some way bigger manufacturers from more established brands have have kind of let us down a little bit. You look at um, Japan, just to put this in perspective, like you look at the automobile brands that come out of Japan, Japan. 
the United States of America is 26 times larger than Japan. In other words, you could take Japan and overlay just a few southeastern states, starting at about Virginia, run down to Florida. That's about the, the size of Japan. Japan is four times larger than Korea. And wow. you look at the productivity, the fresh designs, the output, it is just mind boggling because we consider them on the world stage to be equals and in many ways superior. But look, they're doing a lot with the little. LG, Samsung, yeah, Hyundai, yeah. Kia. Yeah, wow. I didn't think about it from that standpoint. Yeah. Impressive. All right, we'll move on. And uh, as you alluded to, Adams, uh, the first quarter U.S. sales, light vehicle sales are out, and they're very interesting, as they always are. Uh, I want to start with uh, one number that I think is very interesting, because I think this is kind of a, a look at what we're going to see in the future. Tesla sold about 423,000 vehicles worldwide. That's up 36% from the prior wow. year. They're making about a 16 to 17% profit on each one and they just lowered their vehicles uh prices they lowered their prices to increase uh sales more to juice their sales they lowered the prices because they can and uh, also to sort of make it into the uh the rebate or the government um rebate or whatever they call it the tax advantage for that so for for evs so tesla's way up Tesla's not... showing people how it's done, and boy, did I, I, I have to say, I was a, another thing I was wrong about. We could do an entire episode on the things I've been wrong about, but I about three, four years ago, I thought Tesla. Well, I call it four to five years ago. I thought Tesla was was down for the count. They had swelling inventory. They had ninety day unsold units sitting all over lots, uh, unshipped, unsold. Of course, Elon was at. I don't know if you'd say say the height of his his personality dysfunctionality on online. You know, he was he was doing a lot of sort of outlandish things, a couple of which got him some people think should have been incarcerated for a couple of comments he made about uh his his stock prices. And it it, it just looked like like Tesla was a, a very grand idea that just wasn't ready for prime time. And now look at him. Wow, the wave has caught up with them. Uh they make beautiful cars, they make quality cars, obviously. And I don't know, I, I, I'm a little surprised at how much they are up, but they are doing a lot of things right. Well, I would say this. I, I got a new advertising line for Elon. Buy a Tesla and you won't be foraging for electricity. The, he built the mm -hmm. charging network yep. as he rolled out a vehicle. And here's the thing I'll tell you about, I think, how Tesla has, I think people view electric cars kind of like our phones and electronic devices. Yeah, there's going to be some glitches, but it's like Apple. He is selling a cult, a lifestyle. And by the way, I really believe if he had not done his charging network, the company would have failed, Adams, like you would have predicted. But I don't, I, I don't think at the time that Tesla rolled out that we understood the failure of the American worldwide infrastructure to support the BEV. And that's why I think Tesla is killing it. I mean, your buddy, Steve, that has the portion Atlanta, his trials and tribulations with forging for electricity, yours. But no, if you own a Tesla, you might have to wait. I've seen waiting lines. It's, you know, certain holiday weekends and things like that. But in general, if you own a Tesla, you can, you're going to be, you can get pretty much wherever you want to go and you're going to find a charging station. And that I think is why they have been so successful. I think you're, I think none of us really understood how important that was. It was absolutely critical. 
and now other manufacturers are, are unloading their BEVs and then the people are finding out why well, the infrastructure is not good. And of course, uh, uh, our JD Power guest, uh, Gino Effler, talked about that. Uh, the interesting, the, the most interesting thing he said was that one out of five uh, charging stations out in the wild uh, actually doesn't work. It's there, but you can't, it's not functional. I would say one more, one more thing. I think this is maybe important, at least financially. Uh, timing. If you're going to start building an electric vehicle, and call, let's call it the F-150 Lightning, it takes a ton of money to do that. And getting money when he started in the early 2000, you know, 2010 or whatever, when he started, getting money back then was easy. Money was free. There was a lot of it around. We had a bull market. And then when he IPO'd, there was a big appetite for an IPO. And the IPO generated many, many billions of dollars. And they were having a lot of quality problems, which you alluded to, Adams. And I think uh, and those problems have been almost entirely solved. And it reminds me of something I've thought for many years. And that is, it's amazing what you can accomplish with a good strategy a work ethic, and several billion dollars. And uh, that's what he got from his IPO, tons and tons and tons of money. Meanwhile, now that it's hard with high interest rates to get money and accumulate capital, uh, all of a sudden, these legacy manufacturers like Ford and GM or whoever, it's harder to get money now. Indeed. And, you, and you know, uh, uh, sort of against the tide, we'll, we'll, we'll shift off of just, just strictly focusing on Tesla, other than it is very notable in its success, look at the other ones, the later, the late comers to the party. You've got Lucid, you've got Rivian, and they are struggling mightily. And therefore, innovation and looks is not what it's all about. Um, I think Stefan mentioned, you know, the charging infrastructure, et cetera. Uh, Tesla somehow made electric cars cool. And it's, you know, you don't have to look very far back in the history books that electric cars were decidedly not cool. Thank you, Toyota Prius. And, you know, Elon changed that game um, to his eternal credit. But it, it'll be interesting to see if anybody is really going to emerge in the new manufacturer realm, uh, not the add-on to the legacy makers, but the Lucids and the Rivians and a couple other failures down the line. Yeah. You know, we've talked about Jim Farley, uh, CEO of Ford, and you know, he's splitting Ford into different units. One is the electric unit, Ford Blue. And my, you know, looking at the landscape out there, if I was a legacy manufacturer, gas stations aren't coming online. I would do like Jim Farley says, you want to sell my EVs? You're putting in charging stations at your Ford dealership. And I think the legacy manufacturer, the first legacy manufacturer that gets charging stations at their dealerships is going to be the one to see their sales take off. I think that is a stepping stone that that cannot be overcome. And I, you know, I really, that's what I would do if I was a, a legacy manufacturer. I'd like, guys, you're putting charging stations in at every dealership right now, or you're not getting any EVs. And I would even say you're not going to get some of the allotments of the other vehicles, the trucks, because um, this is the way we're headed. Legislation is headed there, and you got to get a jump on it. Yeah, I completely agree. Maybe have a barista and uh, and <laughs> yeah. you know something like that, right? You know, you can oh, no sit kidding. down. It's yeah. a comfortable place. You have Wi-Fi and you can get some work done, and you have a barista. So, uh, by the way, following up on that point, Stefan, uh, we really got on uh, GM uh, for the Q4 2022 sales because they sold 847 Cadillac Lyrics. Well, guys, things have changed. The Lyric is way up. They sold 968 <laughs> <laughs> that's a 12% jump come on <laughs> why is that thing not selling 
I would tell you this. I, I, that I age group that wants sounds. a Cadillac, they're the least, they're the last group that's going to be foraging for electricity. I think, you know, I just, it's not cool. And there's, it's a pain in the ass to have one of those things, but By why isn't way, it selling? It's, uh, I don't know. I think that maybe it's production. Uh, I'll give them a break and say maybe it's production. I think that uh, this is more that an, an example of dogs not eating a dog food in this particular case. I find it amusing. That, <laughs> speaking of, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this is foraging for gasoline. Uh, Rolls Royce sold almost as many Rolls Royces in the quarter as uh, it was about 530. Um, <laughs> that's the lyric sold. <laughs> You got to wow. forge for gasoline, right? If you have one of those phantoms. Yeah. By and the way, roughly three times the price point. Well, at least two and a half times the price point. That's remarkable. Yeah. I think the average transaction price for a Rolls Royce is, you know, 400 ish right around. So it's incredibly expensive. And the Lyric is like 80 grand to start and they can't, they can't sell them. Uh, Genesis is up 18%. Uh, we're not surprised by that. And we're, we are seeing, there's, there's, I think, two or three standalone uh, Genesis dealers, and they're opening all the time. I think we'll see Genesis dealers soon, just like we do Lexus dealers. Absolutely. And they better put some charging stations in those places. I think this, this is... Of charging, Porsche cannot make fuel out of gasoline fast enough. I mean, excuse me, excuse me, <laughs> gasoline out of water fast enough. <laughs> They're making gasoline out of wind. Yeah. <laughs> wind and water in Chile. Yes. They need to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, one, one group that won't need a lot of uh, gasoline is Alpha. They went from 3,300 to 2,400, 27% down. And, and Fiat went from 340 cars to 138 cars. Fiat Alpha, I, they're, come on, guys. They're done, right? They're done. They were done the day they started, unfortunately. But I, I feel sad for them. I'm an, I'm an, I'm an Italophile at heart and I really wish they were able to get it together. But unlike uh, how we started talking about, you know, what Genesis has done in a very short period of time and we won't belabor that point, look how long Alpha and Fiat have been at the game and they just, I'm just going to go ahead and say it as much as I like them, much as I respect, respect their history. I believe they were just smug. I think they came to the U.S. and said, hey, we are who we are. Watch people line up outside the showroom, and it just hasn't happened. And their dealer network is not great. Their service history is definitely not great. Their parts availability, the price of parts, I don't know. It's it, it, it's a sad story. Uh, if, if, if and probably when they do leave the U.S., uh, it will be with at least one tear shed um, by lots and lots of people who remember when they were a respected and revered brand. But if they leave this time, I don't think they're ever coming back. No, I agree. Yeah, if you don't have Luigi the mechanic in your backyard, you don't own an alpha. I mean, those things, I mean, it's, it's worse than Lucas Electronics. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we, uh, I actually had a Fiat 128. Uh, my parents did in the 70s. And um, it was always in the shop and, uh, you know, everyone back then knew that Fiat stood for fix it again, Tony. And it's a shame. It's, they just never could get their stuff together. And here we are watching, um, what used to be a very dominant industrial, uh, business, uh, Fiat back in the, you know, fifties, sixties, seventies, uh, just getting their ass kicked by, uh, Hyundai and Genesis and Kia. Another interesting stat. Uh, I find this this is 
kind of relates to something we've talked about, especially you and I, Stefan. Uh, Jeep is down uh, 20%, so 193,000 down to 154,000. And I think this is two things. Stefan, I'll get your take. Number one, I think that the uh, Bronco is eating into Wrangler sales finally. As their production goes up, people are saying, I'd rather not get a Wrangler. There's too many of them around. All my neighbors have them. I want to get a Bronco. And the second thing I think is that I think the the Wagoneer and the Jeep Grand Wagoneer, um, they came out at the wrong time. Talk about timing. Interest rates are higher. Cars are less affordable. And these are $100,000 Jeeps. And I think the combination of the Wrangler going down and those being too expensive are hurting Jeep. Yeah. And it, Genesis and Kia and Hyundai, the Telluride, um, and their SUVs. I mean, look, you look, you put one of those next to the Wagoneer and the and the Cherokee, they just look stodgy. They just look old school, something your parents or my grandparents would have been driving, whereas the the Kias and the Genesis and some of the other SUVs are looking cool. The Mach E, you know, in that category, that's small. And you're right. And I think the Bronco has cannibalized the Wrangler. The Bronco is way cooler. Now, way it just looks way cooler. And it that's a lifestyle vehicle that people are buying that they're not using for what it's designed for. But yeah, they're going to the latest, greatest influencer thing. And the Bronco is just way cooler. You know, I, I agree with, with every point you've said about that. And it's just interesting from, you know, I'm, I'm a, little, a good bit more on the on the collector side. I like the old, the older stuff. And when the Bronco, the elder, the original gen Bronco started becoming cool and noted at uh, collector car auctions and people couldn't restore them or, or hot rod them or modify them fast enough. It's like right on the heels or maybe in the midst of that Ford launches the Bronco. Of course, they've been thinking about it for years. They got a, a bright idea about relaunching the Bronco. They followed up on it. They teased us just enough on social media to build a groundswell of enthusiasm before the car ever came out. Of course, they had some production problems and still do, uh, not all their fault. But then you look at how long, I mean, what is this deal with Jeep's gestation period? They lingered so long trying to bring a truck out that the aftermarket had already built truck kits to turn a Jeep into a truck and sold a few hundred or thousand or whatever of them before Jeep goes, okay, we're going to come out with a truck. They did the same thing with the Grand Wagoneer. That nameplate had about faded from everybody's memory, and then they bring it out. It just—they're spending way too long in the product cycle to come out with something fresh. I think that—that's a great point, Adams. How hard is it to make the Gladiator out of a Jeep? It's easy. You stick it. You stick it. In. And by the way, the the Wagoneer and the Jeep Wagoneer and Stefan and I have talked about this. All they did was put an SUV on top of a Dodge Ram platform. They already had the platform. Both those changes were so easy. Indeed. And it actually looks, it, it, it's funny, as long as it took them to come out with that truck, it looks like it should have taken them about 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, well, 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 yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Stefan. No, I said not, not surprising with the numbers. I think the Broncos finally picked up production and, you know, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see when the Broncos sales cross over and take over Jeep sales. That'd be very interesting to see if that happens. I can see that happening, Stefan. And I will, I would make another point. Uh, the Jeep Wrangler, which is of course, even though they're down hugely profitable, the Dodge Ram hugely profitable. You look at it for Stellantis, Dodge Ram, the full-size pickup, and the Jeep Wrangler, especially, plus other vehicles. But those are the two big ones. For Ford, the Bronco, and the F-150, uh, those are the vehicles that are going to pay 
for this transition to electricity. That Those are the cars that pay the bills. And you're not going to get successful electrification unless you have that. Well, guess what? GM does have their full size S the full size SUVs, which are profitable, the Escalade, Suburban, et cetera. And they do have the Silverado and Sierra, which are, let's face it, a step behind both Ram and the F-150. So they have some vehicles that are paying the freight. They could have had a damn blazer, which would pay money. That would be hugely profitable. They didn't do it. Oh yeah. They should have been listening to cars on call. They didn't know. <laughs> hey, listen up. Yeah, I'll just Jim Farley, put your Charging stations, you guys, we are ahead of the um, industry. I, mean, I know they're thinking about these kind of things, but you're right. I mean, they 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 didn't act on it quick enough at Stellantis, and it's too late. You know, too late to the party. At least, at so least folks they out did there it. in listener in listener land and watcher land, please tell the manufacturers start listening in to cars on call. I mean, look at what they're missing. I mean, just follow or like or subscribe and tell your manufacturer to do the same. You know, Stephen, you had sent a couple of other uh, uh, notable successes, and I'll just, we don't have time to really discuss them in length, but Audi has sort of pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, having been uh, mashed a little bit in the marketplace. They're they're back up. Stephen, what'd you put in there? They're up maybe, oh goodness, is that number correct? 49%. Wow, that's impressive. And they were already a good seller. So apparently uh, the, the jelly bean SUV world is alive and well. And who else? Oh, oh Subaru is up. Uh, uh, not very much, but Subaru is doing good. It, it's funny. There, there's a lot of people playing in the winter party. Well, think about Audi makes it easy for you. Okay. You like the look of an Audi and you go in and you pick small, medium, large, or extra large. They all look the same. So, you know, you just go to the rack and you get the one that fits you. That's what an Audi on a T-shirt. Yeah, do you have any an extra large? Yes, we yeah. do. We've got it for you. Yep. So you, well, same thing. Sedan or SUV, you go in there and you pick small, medium, large, or extra large, and they all look the same. But you get the size it fits. Yeah, it's very, it's very true. Uh, they used to say about BMW, one sausage, three different lengths, and it's true for Audi too. But I'll tell you this about Audi. I'll tell you this. Every time I've I've driven many Audis, every time I get one, I feel good. Oh the, yeah, the the materials, the look. If you're a successful, you know, let's say you're a, a I always say this, you know, you're a, a a woman lawyer and you're five years out of law school, you're finally starting to make some money. You want an Audi. You get in there, you feel good, you feel validated, you feel like you've accomplished something. Those cars make you feel good when you get into them. Yeah, the er, the fit, finish, ergonomics, the dash. Yeah, they're they're they are just gorgeous inside. They do make you feel good. That is a terrific point because a lot of times, you know, I, I probably spend way too much time looking at the exterior of a vehicle. Of course, when you're driving it, you can't see it. Audi, to their in, incredible uh, insight into what buyers really want. And, and folks, if you're out there, just go sit in an Audi. If you don't kind of get it, go sit in an Audi and just turn the headlights on. Um, play with the 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 HVAC. Um, uh, turn the wipers on, and you will see what we're talking about. Everything feels like it's been machined to the absolute nth tolerance degree. Like Steve said, all the materials are first class. Everything fits. Nothing rattles. It's just an impressive build. Yeah. Well, we got to wrap it up, but Stefan, you'll enjoy this. Uh, to that whole point about sitting in the interior of an Audi. Uh, somebody said about the BMW iX, which of course is the SUV that you hate, Stefan. They said the good thing about it is when you're sitting in it, you can't see it. 
<laughs> Very good. Yes, that thing so, is so ugly. So with that, we'll wrap it up and see you guys. See everybody. Episode uh, 61 next week. And which will be all about Stefan's ribs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There I was. There I was. There I was. <laughs>